Hi, welcome back to Predator Radio. Today we have J.D. Pyatt with us and is going to go over some things um, to get us going on uh, kind of his view of predator hunting. Uh, J.D.'s local to Ohio, local to my area. I've actually gone out and, and uh, hunted with J.D. and kind of picked his brain on a bunch of stuff. He's a wealth of information. So we wanted to bring some of that information to our episode today. And what J.D.'s going to be covering is uh, a couple things. Um, what, what I found that I was most able to learn from him was a lot of good calling information. But also, J.D. is probably the uh, person that has been doing predator hunting the longest out of everybody I know in the predator community. So, uh, welcome, JD. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. I, I appreciate you taking time to do this. So, Did you uh, just call me old? No, I didn't. I didn't really want to call you old, and and I, we don't have to leave out the year that you started <laughs> predator hunting. But I will say that I think I was in middle school. So, and, and I, and I think a lot of people can, can learn a lot from, from your experience. You know, I, I covered in my introductory one that I kind of got into this from going out for almost a year of not getting a coyote. I was using a red light and I don't know if you, you heard our, my, my first episode, but I learned from a bunch of mistakes. So what we're trying to do here with Predator Radio is get out that information so people can speed up the learning curve, basically. And I think you're a wealth of information. So what I'd like to go over is like how you got into it, what all you went up through, and then all the way up through uh, where you're currently at with Icotech and and uh, in your accomplishments. I, I know in our area in, in Ohio, you're one of the most accomplished Predator hunters around. So we want to kind of pick your brain for that. So you can kind of walk us through. You don't have to give specific uh specific years if you don't want to and fear of sounding old okay <laughs> well i i pretty much started as a kid you know i was i had an uncle that did a lot of trapping and calling now mind you back at that time which was in the early mid 80s um the only thing we really had around here in numbers were fox okay. so there there wasn't coyotes around so you know, I, I cut my teeth calling great fox. And basically what I did was, you know, I had an old Johnny Stewart great fox pup cassette tape. Mm-hmm. I had a little little portable boom box, and I'd put that tape in there with a handheld flashlight with uh, a little red tail light cover taped over top of it for uh, the red tent. And I went out and push play and call in gray foxes and had a blast and uh i couldn't get enough of it Uh, it was just like it is today with coyotes and and new people that get into it i mean it's it's addicting it's a lot of fun absolutely going up against some of the best animals smartest fly cunning animals that there are out there so it was always a challenge and that's what intrigued me the most you know, it was a challenge. So calling Gray Fox, you know, I learned that, one, it, it you had to be on with your shooting because we were using simple lights, you know, nothing like what we have today. Um, they weren't near as bright. 
all you basically seen were little red beady eyes bouncing into you, and it was it was a challenge just to shoot them, let I alone bet. call them in. So, yeah, it's it's come a long way since then. Trust me, but so it's kind know. of interesting. You, you said you start out, so we're kind of in the same area. You start out with gray fox, but we don't even have gray fox here now, do we? I ain't seen a gray fox around here in probably 15 years. That's what I thought. And see, and I kind of, I got into it late into that, you know, into the stage of the gray fox's population. You know, they were dwindling down at the time I was getting into it and learning. So I got to call gray fox only for, you know, just a couple of years. And then their numbers were, you know, pretty much non-existent. And then, we had a decent red fox population, so it, it changed to calling red fox. And honestly, they're they're two different animals. So it was a learning process over again to learn how to call the gray or the red foxes. You know, the grays you were in take cover with them, and uh, it was a lot of fast action. And the red fox, once I started calling them, was somewhat similar to what you know coyotes are they were more out in the open areas open fields they were a little more cautious than a gray fox when it came to calling them they worked the wind quite a bit more than a gray so it was again another challenge and another learning curve to go through to successfully start calling red fox i finally you know got it down and become successful and was able to shoot them. So after learning, you know, what it took to call grays, then what it took to call reds, I started seeing coyotes when I was calling red fox. Okay. And with, with the light setups that I had, and at the time, a red fox would... Uh, being a caller and most people will probably understand what I'm going to try and say but when you're calling the red fox and he's working the wind he's still looking at the caller the whole time as he's moving to get downwind and that made it a lot easier you know get on him and at that time I was using the 222 and I could wait for him to stop and shoot him well when I started calling the coyotes in at night a coyote would come in you'd pick up their eyes with the red red light but when they would work the wind and travel they wouldn't look at the caller like a red fox would they would look ahead as they traveled so i'd lose their eyes and again Mm -hmm. you know i'm dealing with not that bright of lights at the time so i would lose the lose the coyote and then he would stop maybe 75 yards he'd stop and look and I'd pick him up again, and by the time I could get the gun on him and try and get a shot off, he's moving again. Right. Well, he'd take his eyes off the collar, and I'd lose him. And then eventually, you know, after so many of them doing that to me and not even firing a shot off at him and them getting my wind, and, and you know, it's over at that point. Yep. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm educating these things. They were a lot more of a challenge than the Red Fox. And at that time, I would have probably been early 20s, I'd say. Um, So I started picking up as many copies as I could gobble up from a 
a local guy that uh, had a subscription to uh, Predator Trapper Predator Caller magazine. Mm-hmm. I picked up the magazines from him, read them cover to cover, and of course, all the articles in that magazine are geared towards Western callers because in the East it wasn't you know a thing at the time. So I read you know what it took to do it out west and here in ohio in the east it's totally different you know a lot more houses a lot more dogs a lot more people and commotion going on the coyotes weren't as you know receptive to exposing themselves in the daytime but i couldn't kill them at night because they wouldn't they wouldn't stop long enough for me to get shots off on them so i had to focus on daytime calling and that proved to be the biggest challenge of the three, you know, from gray fox, red fox to coyote. Coyotes were definitely a, a challenge. They still are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I read everything I could on the on the subject pertaining to Western calling, and I I tried my hardest around here for a long time to call a coyote in during the day. And, you know, after being so unsuccessful at it, but yet bullheaded enough and stubborn enough to keep at it, I finally called my first coyote in, and I missed it because, <laughs> uh, you know, I was so shook up. It was like buck fever, you know, <laughs> and I missed the booger. Well, then, you know, I've, I've learned off of what I did that was successful. Right. And I just every stand from that point on you know whether i called one in or not or had a vocal or not or missed the coyote or killed the coyote i took every little bit of information from that stand and applied it you know to the my following stands and combined everything till i finally come up with a formula that i started becoming successful in the daytime calling them in and killing them here in ohio and pretty much that formula is there's a lot, a lot to calling these coyotes. Um, and everything pretty much has to be perfect right. for daytime calling. You know, from where you park your truck, how quiet you get out of your truck, how quiet you approach where you're going to call from, because, you know, these, they can hear way better than we can fathom. And it's all about getting in there nice and quiet. And coyotes have to have security before they'll respond. You know, so choosing the stand setup that provided them that security in the daylight to approach the situation was key to success. So by security, you mean like cover? So they feel yeah. comfortable coming into how you've set your stand up. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, you're you can't sit 300 yards across from where you know or are confident where they're at, and try and pull them across a wide open field I got at you. 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, and I I I'm able to kill coyotes now in Ohio at all times of the day, all times of the night. You know, and Early morning stands, you know, 
daylight to around 11, I always chose those stands for my, you know, open country because the coyotes are still moving at that right. time of day. You know, a lot of deer hunters, see them, you know, they're, they're just like deer. They move a lot at night. They lay up. They're still moving, roaming around, you know, up till 10, 11 o'clock in the, in the morning. Mm-hmm. So they were more receptive to cross them open fields in the early morning hours. And then once I got to 11 o'clock time frame, I started moving closer to the cover, if not getting right into the cover with to pull them in. So there's just a lot of little things that you got to do right. All right. That add up to be successful with these things. Neat. But, you know, back to the security level, you know, I, for what I do for work now, I protect. Part of my job is recording coyotes. So I've got live coyotes here at my house. And I can literally open the kennel door up wide open and stand there and they'll walk up to that open door. They won't. They won't leave the kennel because they're secure in where they're at. They, you know, it's a big world outside there. They'll they'll peek at the kennel door, look around, and they'll <laughs> turn around and go right back in. You know, they just because they're secure. So the same thing applies to calling. Um, keep them secure, and you're gonna you're gonna have success. Well, neat. So. so <clears throat> I want to get to how you kind of transitioned into nighttime, but before that, since you brought up your um, your uh, coyotes at home, was it Apollo and Luna? You got a couple, yeah, don't you? Apollo. Yeah, I got three of them: Apollo, Luna, and Nova. That's right. Yeah. So as you uh, so you have those to basically get material from. Can you kind of go into you know, what they do seasonally, how you capture those sounds, um, what you're looking for. Like, you know, when you record, you know, what are you looking for to, to obviously you're looking for content for your Icotech call. Um, I know in my call, you know, Icotech, I think got some of the, some of the best sounds out there. And I think what makes them good is they're, they're really unique. They're really clean files. Um, but what I'm more intrigued by is, I assume they're, I don't know, howling all the time. Like, how do you know which sounds to pick and what, what appeals to you from a, from a producing content standpoint? Well, howls obviously are some of the most important because they're some of the most used. I mean, I can use, I use howls in the daytime and I use howls at night. Now, the coyote fights I don't use so much in the daytime because they haven't really produced like they can and do at night the two one thing I've been noticing is that they're two different animals daytime versus nighttime Um, (laughs) you know they're they're intriguing it's it's always something new with them and always learning process even though I've been doing it 30 plus years, but there's a huge difference between the way a coyote responds to calling during the day versus the way a coyote responds to calling at night. Um, other than I will, I will say 
when it comes to a prey distress sound, like a rabbit. Mm-hmm. They work the sound pretty much the same at night as they do in the day. They're cautious. They want to use the wind because they don't know what's causing that animal to be distressed. So they want to confirm with their nose before they go running right up to it. Right. Some are, and, and that falls upon, you know, where all coyotes have different personalities. Um, some are more bold. Some are you know, far more cautious. Those bold ones are the first ones to get killed every year. Right. And you got the cautious ones that are left. And, the, you know, and they're learning, let alone, already, you know, adding in that, super cautious factor that they already possess so it makes them even that much harder to kill later on in the season after you know so many people have been calling to them but um so the sounds i use and focus mostly on recording these are howls okay the rest of the stuff is pretty much natural like the fighting because i kid you not they constantly fight um I've got hours upon hours of recordings of them bickering <laughs> at each other and growling and squealing and squalling. Right. So getting the good, clean, singled-out lone house out of them uh, is the most challenging. Right. <laughs> so, but I've I finally figured out, you know, how to do that, and and it takes separating them for hours and letting them become lonely because they, you know, they're a group. And they, once they're alone, they become lonely and they're a little more uh, susceptible to getting them to howl. So Neat. I was going to ask I'm, if you if there was something you did to kind of prompt them to do that or if you just waited for them to make the sounds you wanted. No, I, I, I prompt them. I split them up, single them out, leave them alone for, you know, several hours, and then I'll, I'll uh, from a distance, set up recorders and from a distance i'll howl and they answer so yeah they're very they're a lot more uh apt to howl back at me than the wild ones are put that way gotcha (laughs) so when you're talking about howls can you kind of go over the difference i think a lot of people i know i didn't have a real clear understanding at the beginning you know invitational howls and interrogational uh how's like can you give us a brief rundown on communication and because i know people have over the years you know everybody's put a label to everything um and to be honest with you i really i really haven't even fully figured out what they mean with certain labels um i just know the types of howls that i use on stand like a, a lone howl I do know a lone howl is just like a lot of what I get out of these guys when they're lonely. They're long, they're drawn out, and they they may have a pitch change in the middle of the howl, mm-hmm. but it's pretty monotoned. So pitch change and just tapers out slowly. And that's, to me, a coyote that's lonely, he's looking for companionship. And that is a non-aggressive howl. Every coyote that's out there uh, is not necessarily intimidated by the howl, so it's not going to push them or run them off. Right. So those types of howls, your lone howls or a long howl, I've seen some labeled as on some other calls. Um, invitational howl, pretty much the same. 
just those long mono howls that taper off. Basically saying I'm here and I'm here and who else is out there. Yeah, pretty much. And then you've got your invite type howls. Those have got a little bit more excitement in them. They've got, um, they may throw a bark in front of an invite with that excitement and they'll chop the end off. Okay. So that's a non-aggressive howl. And it goes along the same lines as the the lone howl. You know, it's it's an inviting type howl that, hey, I'm here. Anybody else in the area? Right. So to speak. Well, neat. So the, the way I was taught to call was to kind of tell a story. Um, and, like, I'm here, um, you know, maybe some howls, and then sometimes go into, like, food. Um, hey, I'm here, and I've got something to eat type thing. Um, and then seasonally, you know, you get into the more aggressive sounds and stuff like that. But can you kind of run through a general stand, and n- not specific as much as, you know, how many sounds do you use on a stand generally? Like, I know I've got my preferences. I don't use a whole lot. Like, if the first three or four sounds haven't worked, I I kind of shy away from throwing the kitchen sink at them. And I know some guys that will throw the kitchen sink at them, and, man, it works. Uh, and I think I think we had talked before, you know, you'll run through quite a few sounds till kind of flips or switch. Can you kind of go through your – and obviously what you're doing works because you stack up the numbers. So can you kind of go through your – not as much your exact calls as your philosophy on calling and how many sounds to use and that type of thing? Sure. I basically, it it all depends on where I'm at, what I'm calling. If I'm calling fresh ground, new, new country that I know coyotes are there. I'm confident nobody else has been messing with them. Mm -hmm. I'll start out with simple rabbits because if they haven't heard anything, there's that, you know, bold crop of coyotes that's in that area that are going to respond to rabbits. I want to kill a certain amount of coyotes out of that area. Once then I go back in and I'm there for the second, maybe third time, that's where I start having to really work for them, where I'll go in and start using more vocals. Um, but for the most part, I, you know, I'll, some stand, it's hard to explain. I basically try and explain to people when I get messages about it that it's like fishing. You got to find what color the fish are biting on. Same with coyotes. You got to find what sounds they're biting on. And that changes throughout the night. Sometimes, you know, it can be rabbits that they're hitting on. And then they'll just quit responding to rabbits and got to go to vocals. And then they start responding on vocals. And then it may switch again in the middle of the night back to rabbit sounds or fawn or mice or you know bird distresses so i my daytime setup i've got a scenario a lone howl prey distress back to a lone howl with a different lone howl two different coyotes back to prey distress back to a couple more howls and then finish up with the pup distress basically telling the coyotes that are laying out there that there's coyotes in their area. The coyotes eating their food. Right. The coyotes are talking again. 
they're eating more of their food. Now somebody's getting their butt whipped. Gotcha. Better check this out. And that works for the daytime. But you know, one in every maybe twenty stands here in Ohio. You gotta walk your butt off. Right. Hunt your butt off to get those ones that, you know, are secure enough and come in. Nighttime, totally different game. I do throw a lot of sounds at them at night because they're animals of opportunity and you never know which one it's going to take to, you know, I've watched many of them with the thermal out there, seven, 800 yards, completely ignore a caller. And then you get to one certain sound and they just turn and can't get to you fast enough. And you know, why? I can't explain it, but it tripped his trigger. Right. Got him to come in. So, and I'm, I'm learning things even now, you know, through nighttime calling that I, I think I'm trying, you know, putting a formula to why some sounds work for several hours versus these sounds work for a few hours and then they go back to these sounds. And I think it's got to do with their pattern of how they um, move at night, early in the evening. You know, they've been separated all day long. They join up. That's when you get those, you know, right at dusk group howls. They've all excited. They're back together, and they're going to go out and run together for a couple hours, and then eventually they split off and go on their separate ways and miles in different fields and whatnot. And then they group back up in the middle of the night, and then they split back up, and then they come back together in the morning, and then they split up for the day. Well, all that splitting up, regrouping, I think has to do with the sounds that they respond to, like okay. single coyotes. You go into a field, and there's a single coyote out there in the field, and you see him with your thermal before you even start calling. If you howl at that coyote and go into a coyote fight, he most likely is not going to come in right? because he's by himself. And there's a group of coyotes already right there fighting. Unless he's a bold, you know, one of the bold ones that want to fight. Right. Dominant, dominant dog. So, you know, that's where I think those rabbit sounds are going to kill that coyote versus the fight sounds. And when they're in their groups at night, you howl, they respond and you, you got them in a group, then you, then I run more vocals from that point on. I get, you know, if I get a uh, coyote in that group that's aggressive, I jump right back in its face with aggressive sounds. And if you can get that one coyote to come in, the rest of them are going to follow. Follow, yeah. They just so, don't want to be the first one. <laughs> or right. somebody's got to decide to be the first one. Yeah, so whereas, you know, many times I've seen once you get them to light up and you start playing a rabbit, they a lot of times, you know, won't come to it. They won't come to the rabbit. But you get them fired up and pissed off, they'll, one of them, you know, one commits, they all commit. So catching them in those group phases versus when they're singled out, I think has a lot to do with what sounds I choose. Okay. How, how much does the environment have to do with it? Meaning like, uh, I know 
I try to match, um, <clears throat> I try to match like, I, I like hunting around livestock, like pastures and stuff, just because doing it year round, you know, in the summer, it's pretty much pastures and hay fields is all I got. So I hunt a lot of cattle fields. Um, so like trying to match, you know, calf distress in a, in a, in a field with cattle. Do you think it's important to try to match that? Or do you think it's, you think it's more the exact sound or do you think it's more the type of sound? Um, no, I, I don't, (laughs) I don't try and match the sound. Okay. Um, basically because they're, they're, you know, just so opportunistic that I don't, I don't, I don't really put that much thought into it, and I don't give them that much credit. Okay. For being smart. Well, I mean, it's all. I think it's all about um, the opportunities at the time. So yeah, just like with jackrabbit distress, kill a lot of coyotes in Ohio with jackrabbit distress. There ain't a jackrabbit in the state of Ohio. <laughs> right. So, which would imply it's more uh, the type of sound right yeah the desperation well and, and, and i know i've had a, a lot of luck i've i'm kind of a kind of a statistics or analytical nerd and i, I track a, a lot of my data just to try to learn from it and i noticed mm-hmm. last year um i killed the most on bird distress mm-hmm. it, it was a, it's a woodpecker distress sound i have and i Honestly, I have no idea why it works so well. Now, part of it's because I, I used it tempo, more. That that fast-paced tempo. You think so? Kind of trips them. Yeah, I think it excites them. Um, woodpecker's a good sound to run. Sure. Yep, and that's that's what yep. I thought. You know, I don't think the I don't think coyotes around here are eating a lot of woodpeckers. But man, whatever right. that that high pitch, you know, like you yep. said, the tempo, kind of a flirty you know, non-threatening sound, um, mm-hmm. seems to, for me, seem to r- really pull them in. Like to the point, I think I wore it out on a lot of my spots, a lot of my spots I hunt probably too much. So, you know, I was able to kind of burn it out and have to switch something else, but it, it worked really well. So that's why I was kind of curious on your view. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, you know, if you have to match a specific sound or it's more the, more the type of sound. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't focus on that. The only time I'll, I'll do a specific sound would is fawn distresses. I don't run very much fawn distress throughout the winter. Okay. From May, June, <clears throat> that fawn distress is like gold. And I think it's just because it's so fresh, it's happening at that time. They're running into so many fawns and they are destructive on them that right. you know, it's just a dinner bell. They hear that fawn distress and the, I've seen them come from a long ways off to get to it. So right. that's the only time, you know, that I do a specific sound to time of year. Gotcha. The rest of the stuff, you know, I'll run year round. Lights. What's your, uh, what's your trick on, <clears throat> I know a lot of people ask about educated dogs or educated coyotes. You know, the ones that, uh, you know, you've hunted the spot three or four times you know, or whatever, however many times and pulled them out. Can you kind of touch on the whole, you know, each time you go to a stand, you're educating them. And how do you work against 
your own uh, your own tactics of educating them, I guess. I mean, do you track like uh, do you track what sounds you've played where and try to mix it up, or do you stick with what's worked until it doesn't work, or kind of what's your uh, you get me tricks on? I know a lot of people. You know, I tell people that the biggest hurdle is getting enough ground to hunt. So uh, you know, yeah. a lot of people don't have enough ground. I think you know nobody has enough ground forever. But if you if you have limited acreage and you're hunting on a regular basis, you got any tips f- for people that uh, that kind of not to cut your own throat on on educating them? Yeah, and that is. Um move around the best you can you know with the property lines and the wind directions okay yep. change the location up. up yep change the location of where you set your stands up now this is nighttime right i'm i'm spoke focusing on nighttime set up in different areas um play your sounds shorter sequences uh throw different sounds at them obviously but and kill every coyote that comes in. <laughs> right. N- nothing educates yeah. them more than s- to spin yeah. them or, or miss and, and send them home to yeah. tell everybody else. Right. Yeah. Because the next time you go back, that coyote's probably going to be the one back there barking. Right. And telling everybody back. else about their last experience. Yeah. 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 And that kind of brings up yep. a, a good point, like with uh, the amount of calls or sounds on a call. I mean, like Icotech, it come it comes with what two hundred and some sounds preloaded on it. Yeah, the Outlaws and Night Stalker come with two forty. Yeah, so two hundred and forty sounds, and then it's got a free library um, yeah. that you have access to to all the Icotech stuff. Um, is how how many of those sounds? I mean, I think it's important for people to kind of remember to shuffle through their sounds i know i know i catch myself using what works and not trying new stuff um recently i've sat at home and just played sounds in my living room just to be familiar with what's in my call and i've found stuff that i really like that i didn't even know i had um so i don't know if you can kind of touch on that like you know it, with what all comes loaded in icotech and, and a lot of the brands they all you know come with a certain amount of sounds on them um right can you kind of expand on, you know, know what's in your call and what to use and how much you rotate through them and throwing fresh stuff out there? Well, I, you know, I use a lot of the same sounds. That's like one of the sounds that's available from Icotech. Um, no secret. It's called Uppercut. Mm-hmm. And Brad and I together have killed a lot of coyotes on that one sound. Um, you know, just like it's, a lot of people know Tony Tebby's Den Raid. You know, and I used to say it about Tony's sound den rate that it would make a smart coyote stupid. Mm-hmm. Same with a uh, uppercut, and it's just basically a knockdown, drag out fight sound that they lose their mind over. <laughs> they buck the wind, they come straight to it, and they're you know focused on kicking butt. Yep. That sound I run year round. And I run it over and over on all the ground that I've got, and it continues to kill coyotes. So if you find a sound that is and does work, you know, stick with it. Okay. Um, changing up sounds, 
I, you know, my rabbits, I do change those up because those are repetitive type of sounds. And I think they catch on to those a lot faster than they do the vocals. Um, so the rabbit sounds, I'll, I don't know exactly how many come on the outlaw or the night stalker, but I'm sure I'm thinking somewhere around 20 plus, you know, so I've got plenty of those to go through a whole year and mm-hmm. run different sounds throughout the cycle throughout, you know, I use Onyx map. I use a tracker portion of it and I keep track of where I've been, what area just off that Onyx. And I bounce around through the 300 plus farms I've got to call on. And I try not to hit the same stuff twice in, you know, a couple weeks time, but gotcha. there are hot spots that you just can't wait to get back to. And, you know, I'll hit them and you know, run a lot of the same vocals. So I'll change up prey distresses. So especially those, those vocals that, that work and they, they keep working. They really ever tire of them. So I don't, focus a whole lot on changing my kind of vocals okay neat now you mentioned onyx um for your your spots i know you've done some kind of research on other stuff like the weather um and i can't remember exactly what you were telling me but didn't you track like barometric pressure and didn't didn't you do some some analytical tracking on like what you had killed and the environmental type stuff that when there's something well, with the pressure at a certain point and rioting, kind of stacking the odds in your favor? Yeah, Brad, I'll be honest. Brad's been mainly the one tracking that kind of stuff. He'll, he'll jot down and keep notes on you know the pressures, which I think we found between 29 and, and 30, just below 31, and a moving pressure, whether up or down were some of our best nights of calling. Um, Moon phase, I think, has a lot to do with it as well. The darker the night, the better. Still kill them on full moons, but I do a lot of, you know, getting closer to them on a full moon night versus trying to pull them across wide open country when it's that bright out. But, yeah, the, the pressure thing, um, really haven't nailed it down because one night it can be 29.3 and climbing and we kill five coyotes that night the next night it could be the same pressure and we can't find a coyote to save our life so it's just it's been a struggle trying to nail that down and with me having the live coyotes here at the house i've tried to correlate you because know, there's days they won't even come out of the shed versus really? days that they're out of the shed at first light and they're active, they're playing, they're, you know, and I try and correlate that to the wild ones thinking, okay, they may not be active tonight because of the kennel dogs wasn't, mm-hmm. vice versa. You know, the wild ones are active. So I can't even, I can't even put that scenario together. Hmm. Although I've tried, All right? Eh. But we'd be rich if we could, if we could predict it. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, kind of transitioning into things now with with uh, nighttime stuff, um, 
can you kind of go over real quick, uh, since since you're with with Icotech, the the calls that they offer, um, and where people, um, you know, features wise. So you have the Night Stalker. Yep. Night Stalker, the Outlaw, and the Outlaw, and those are both kind of touch on the. Those are both pretty much the same call minus the decoy. Is that right? Exactly. The decoy and the color. Night Stalker, you know, geared toward nighttime hunting. It's black in color. Okay. Doesn't come with a decoy, but the features and the sound library, everything's the same as for the Outlaw, which is one that is olive in color and comes with the decoy at purchase. Neat. Um, um, and it's, it's, uh, can you kind of touch on some of the features? I know mine, I, I really liked, uh, the fact I could run two sounds at once and control them independently, you know, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of a, what would you call it? Like a mirrored remote where you kind of have two side, two independent sides of it. Is that a good way to describe it or? Yeah. You got two channels. I, you know, years ago I used to do a lot of hand calling. I had hand calls around my neck and a, a howler in my pocket and I was back and forth between them, you know, constantly. And we tried to design these callers to be as close to hand calling as you could get with an electronic caller. Simple. Um, two channels, play two different sounds, and then pause them independently to add, you know, that realism to a set. You know, rabbit squalling, throw some coyote yipping on channel two, and, you know, make those coyotes think that it's a coyote that's working that rabbit versus, you know, not knowing exactly what it is causing that rabbit to be distressed. So I can, I see it, you know, being beneficial. Um, a lot of times I'll run two house, one on each channel, pause them back and forth. You got two different coyotes howling and mixing it up and carrying on, uh, to add a little bit of realism to it. So that dual channel and simplicity of use, I think is is pretty beneficial with our line of callers plus it's 300 yard remote range you know i know a lot of people think why why do you need 300 yards i'm sure you've seen it uh coyotes hang up at night you can make a move on them at night like you know unlike you can in the daytime as easily leave the caller put and grab your stuff and move at them and then keep working that caller and inch your way closer towards them and then, you know, eventually get within range of a shot, hopefully. So 300-yard remote range is, a, is a, actually a plus in my eyes. Oh, yeah. I know I've, I know I've uh, probably pushed it to its limits um, doing the exact yeah. same thing you said is with uh, my Night Stalker. I've, I've left it, moved in closer, moved in closer again, and, you know, wanting to minimize my movement and how much noise and odor I'm dropping out there. I don't want to go back and move my call every time. I honestly don't know how far away I've gotten with mine, but I've never, um, I've never got out of range. The yeah. remote has always yeah. punched out, which is impressive. And I've had mine out of line of sight where I hunt, you know, is mostly, or my preference is big, open, flat area. But when you get into some of these cattle pastures that I do, it's, you know, it's rolling hills and I've literally walked on the other side of a hill with mine and, uh, mountain, how far away out of line of sight and it, and it worked, which is impressive. Um, yeah, I know one of the other things I really like with Icotech that I don't, th I have, I own all three 
uh, manufacturers. But the one thing I really like with the Icotech that I'm surprised the other companies don't do is um, it may seem minor, but the way the it the sound tapers off when you hit, mm-hmm. when you stop it. Um, right. You you don't get that abrupt. You know, if you hit mute or pause, you don't get that abrupt cutoff that doesn't sound natural. Um, it's exactly. really neat however you guys programmed that taper <clears throat> it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's those little things that add up that i think are neat and then if you don't uh if you um, i know the the night stalker um is kind of the the top of the line and then you can kind of in the outlaw and then you can kind of go down from there you've got what the the 500 and the 350 what's the difference in those uh the 350 operates 24 sounds total it runs off of an SD card, um, whereas the 500 will operate 200 sounds. Runs off of an SD card. The okay. remotes are different in the aspect that the 500 is a digital remote, so it gives you a display of the sound that you're running, your volume level, timer. Um, they all have a, a light button on them that you can turn on and off for nighttime. You know, ability to see the remote. And then they both have the same 15-watt cone speaker and same body style and size and same remote distance. So the two biggest things between those are the amount of sound that you can run on them, 24 versus 200. And then we've got the 300 and the 320, which are basically entry-level callers for guys that don't know if it's something they're going to want to pursue in. so they're not going to put, they're not going to have to spend a lot of money to get into it and see if it's something they like to do. You know, they're both got good sounds on them that produce work on coyotes. So they can spend $80 on the GC300, have 12 sounds, go out, see if it's something they like. And then if it is, then they can, you know, just like everybody else. The more you get into it, the more money you're spending on equipment. Sure. Um, you know, get into the bigger callers with more features. Yeah, but you can get some good sounds at an entry level price and kind of try it before yep. try it before you buy yeah. it when you get into the more expensive stuff. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a new call coming out this year. It's going to be called the Saber. Um, it's basically the same as the Outlaw and the Night Stalker, but it's only going to have one channel. So you'll only okay. be able to play one sound on it, but you'll still have that volume, remote distance, same uh, remote as the GCX for the Outlaw and the Night Stalker, but it's going to be under a $300 caller. Well, so, That'll kind of bridge the gap between yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah, because our 500 goes from $200, and then the Night Stalker is the next in line, which is at like 375 I believe. So fit that the saber right in between there just under $300 gives us a full spectrum of you know entry level to you know seasoned callers well neat well JD I appreciate your time today um is there for people I know I've I've learned a ton by getting the opportunity to hunt with you since you're local um Mm -hmm. for people that aren't local is there I assume you're on social media. People can follow your, your stuff. And um, I know you, you do a lot of Icotech support. Is there, there's a channel through there that uh, 
people that have Icotech. I know your guys' customer service is amazing. But how can people, if people want to learn from you, is there a way they can follow you on social media? Uh, Yeah, Facebook. I've got my personal Facebook, and then I do Instagram. Um, I got a Facebook page that I put some of my nighttime stuff on the videos on it's called Bustin' Fur. Um, and then the Icotech YouTube channel, got a lot of daytime hunts on there, some nighttime stuff. So yeah, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to social media. Well, great. Well, JD, I really appreciate all your time and knowledge you've shared with us and, uh, hope you will follow you on, on social media and, and uh, we can continue to learn from you. I appreciate being here, Jeff. I enjoyed the conversation, and anytime you need anything, holler. I really appreciate it. All righty, sir.